Hey mamas, and welcome to Nutrition for Littles, a podcast dedicated to helping you raise healthy, confident, and independent eaters. I'm Alyssa, your mama in BRD. I'm a registered dietitian and mama of two. I specialize in nutrition and feeding for infants and toddlers. Nutrition is kind of my thing, and I love sharing it. But honestly, the few seconds Instagram gives me on my stories just wasn't cutting it anymore. Join me each week right here as we go deeper and tackle topics like picky eating, mealtime struggles, baby-led weaning, fostering a healthy relationship with food, and so much more. I'll try to be short because mom life, but I plan on giving you real-life tactical advice and answering your actual questions. I will walk you through actionable strategies to help you protect and preserve your child's innate ability to listen to their bodies and eat intuitively. Let's jump right into today's topic. Hey, 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 welcome back to the podcast. First of all, I don't think you're going to notice, but I just have to share this win with you that for the past 50 odd whatever episodes, I have recorded this podcast with an ever so slight buzzing in my ear. Now I've listened back to it and I'm pretty sure you can't hear it, but while I'm recording, it's like this constant like like old do you remember like old TVs how you would turn it to that channel and it would just be like static that's what was happening inside my head and you guys I magically fixed it today I figured out I've had it on a wrong setting for a long time but what's funny is on my other podcast uh I don't get that feedback so I didn't know why it was happening only now all this to say is hello and welcome and now I can hear what you can hear inside my own head Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. But I just want to keep it real with you guys. I am a professional podcast and there is 0% chance that I am recording this in my master closet after the kids had gone to bed. Okay. All right. Maybe just sometimes. But here I am ready to talk to you about this topic of older, quote unquote, picky eaters. So I get this question from time to time. And I wanted to address it here on my podcast uh, and really kind of break it down with you guys because I think there's some confusion and I probably have um, kind of made that confusion worse, if you will. So uh, when I'm talking about my picky eating course, my program, Table Talk, I usually say it's for kids ages 1 through 10. Sometimes I even say it's for ages 1 through 5 primarily but all the techniques and methods really do work through age 10. You just kind of have to modify some of the language. You can be a little bit more lenient with how you're talking to your kids about things. You can be a little bit more advanced. You can use more language. Like we all know toddlers' toddlers attention spans are like four and a half seconds. So with older kids, not that they're necessarily better, but you can usually explain things a little bit more to them. So the methods, the structures, the strategies that I teach inside Table Talk really do work from ages one to 10. Now I've gotten the message before, like what happens when they are 11? Like what kind of turn did they take in their life that all of a sudden these things don't work? So let's clarify that really quick. 
nothing happens at age 11 for them to all of a sudden, these don't work, change everything, everyone get up, change seats and do the hokey pokey. No, nothing changes. What happens is that I am presenting to you research that's out there and there's more research done for younger picky eaters, right? Like under that 10 years of age. So not only is the research more focused on this age group for many reasons, one of which they can control a lot more from 10 and under ages, but also that's where we see picky eating really spike. So it's those ages that the research is more pronounced around. So there's more research aimed at that age group, which then in turn, because all of my recommendations are based in research, I feel comfortable saying that these recommendations are for ages one through 10. Now, it doesn't mean that you throw out the whole playbook as soon as they turn 11. It's just saying that there's far less research on how to approach picky eating or kind of what we as parents are really supposed to do in these years to help with picky eating. Now, that being said, for those of you who don't know, not only do I specialize in picky eating and toddler and child nutrition and baby nutrition as well, but I'm also an intuitive eating dietitian and I help women, specifically really adults, uh, form a healthy relationship to food and their body. And this whole thing culminates and meets up together because those adolescent years are right in between kind of this idea of like pressure around food and picky eating and having kind of these food thoughts and they're really formulating all their opinions about food and their body in these adolescent years. And then I deal with a lot of like the outgrowth of that in adults where I say, hey, let's break some of these cycles. Let's not lean into diets, not lean into these food rules that we've built for ourselves and actually look at food this way. So I am an expert in really not only breaking negative relationships with food, but also creating positive relationships with food throughout the life cycle. So that is where I stand on things and nothing really changes dramatically in those adolescence years as far as like the overarching structure of parenting because truly feeding is parenting. But what does change is they become more and more autonomous. They have more and more influence around them, right? Like peers and school and maybe even sleepovers or coaches or teammates, like they have a lot more going on than they necessarily did at the age of two, right? Like they're seeing probably far less of their parents and far more of the people around them. So they have to start using their own discernion. They need to start being able to really discern what foods feel good to them, how much they should be eating, and they have a lot more control over and access to foods. Like even in these years, they get their driver's license and they're able to go and get food. Maybe they even get a job where they can afford their own food or going out to a fast food restaurant or any of those sorts of things. So things start to shift in this age group where we want to start handing over more and more control because these are the years that are really teaching them how to one day live on their own, right? Like that's the plan, knock on wood. Hopefully, we're going to see our children one day possibly leave the house and support themselves if they're able to. So in doing that, we want to train them now while they're still inside our home how to do things like 
meal planning and budgeting for the grocery store and making sure that your food lasts throughout the week. And all of these sorts of things are things that we start to focus on in adolescence, which means that we're handing over more and more control over the menu, over the grocery shopping, over the meal planning, meal prepping, cooking, cleaning up after dinner, deciding when meal times are, all this starts to play a bigger role. And if we've set the foundation really well when they're younger, it's easier for them to start taking control of those things, right? So if we've set up a situation where they have a positive relationship to food, they've been encouraged to listen to their body, it's going to be easier for them as adolescents and eventually adults to turn around and say, oh, I'm this hungry, or this food sounds good, or this is a balanced plate, that's going to work for me. So a lot of these things, it doesn't just fall off the face of the earth when they turn 11, although I can totally see how it comes across that way. Probably if you're following me, you're probably following other accounts um, out there for picky eating and they probably say the same thing. And that's because the research is far more robust, I guess, for younger children. That doesn't mean there isn't research being done in these adolescence years. It's more focused on that relationship to food and their body and body image. And of course, there's all sorts of health and wellness nonsense out there too that really plays a part in this whole adolescence role. So without going any further down this kind of rabbit hole, I do want to give you some practical steps of how to help a picky eater if they are above this age of 10 or even adults, honestly, like even the adults that I've come in contact with in my life, or some of you guys will reach out to me in my DMs and be like, this is all great for my toddler. Now, what do we do about me? I won't eat X, Y, or Z. Okay, so the first thing I want to remind you of here is likely if you have an adolescent or a teenager or even a full-grown adult who's picky or selective with what foods that they're eating, they've likely have been struggling with this for years, if not maybe even decades. So it's going to take time. And I know that's not the answer we want, but truly it does take a lot of time to undo some of the thought processes or connotations that we have with certain foods. So we kind of need to shift our role with older picky eaters and kind of saying, okay, I'm going to step back. And instead of realizing that I'm trying to help teach them how to eat, which is a lot of what we're doing with toddlers and young children, we're actually now facilitating the eating experience with them. So we're now in this like partnership with them. And instead of using any of like the strategies that they might be able to spot and say, Hey, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you, um, you know, it can, it can be perceived as pressure to use some of the strategies that we were to use with our kids. Like, for example, I don't know many 13-year-olds who would appreciate if I cut their um, cheese into little stars, right? They're going to feel like that's awfully patronizing. Now, we can encourage them to have fun with their food. Of course, I still have fun with my food. Raspberries on my fingers every time, okay? But that's besides the point. Like There are some strategies that work for small kids to get them interested in the food that just wouldn't work for older children. So we change our language and we change the way that we approach it. So the principles still apply. Like I always talk about creating an invitation to investigate. This would still apply for a teenager. We want our home or adolescence, even older child. 
We still want our home, our table to be an inviting place for them to come to mealtime. We still want them to be predictable and a safe place for them to come and explore and talk about things or totally not talk about things, but still setting up that home environment to make it a place where they want to spend time with you. So we're not pressuring around food. We're not trying to push them too hard around food. We're respecting their boundaries as a whole person, which we should be doing from birth anyways, but really creating that environment that they're going to want to come and enjoy. So maybe that's what you're talking about at mealtimes. Maybe that's what mealtimes look like, what time they're at, making your meals fit their schedule too, making sure that they feel respected and invited and um, welcomed at those meals. The next tip that I want to leave with you as far as what we can actually do goes along with this as well. Be present. Be fully present. Put the phones away. Put the distractions away and enjoy family meals as often as possible. For me growing up, we had a lot of family meals, especially around dinner time. But particularly, I remember breakfasts on Saturdays were like a big deal. We always had a big hot breakfast. A lot of times my dad was cooking it or we were all in the kitchen at some way and making it that really positive relational experience, not necessarily about the food, but more about the connection with each other. So putting down down the distractions, putting down the phone, putting down the TV, all of those sorts of things can be really helpful. Creating even some sort of like routine or rhythm that you do in your family that is fun for them. Maybe you guys go for a walk together. Maybe you watch a show after, you know, dinner. It's a specific show you guys watch together. Whatever that kind of looks like that creates that family bonding time. For me and my family growing up, we always played sequence the game on Friday nights after dinner. So it was really that invitation to come and connect. The next tip that I would give you here for older children is get them involved and not just like a little bit, but get them involved in the planning stages. Ask them what they want to put on the list. Ask them to come to the store with you. Ask them to pick out a new ingredient. Ask them to come up with a plan for meals. As they grow older too, hand over more and more responsibility where maybe they're in charge of cooking for the entire family. And listen, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. We had this growing up and it was so helpful because I didn't feel completely useless when I moved out, but also it gave you ownership. It gave you pride over something. It made you feel a part of something bigger. So a lot of times it was grilled cheese and tomato soup, but that's okay. Even if it's a simple food that they have you know, eaten their entire life, giving them that empowerment and that pride can be really powerful because one day they might just look to someone like you who's more creative in the kitchen, who maybe has a cookbook open here or there, maybe trying something new and really modeling that for them. Maybe one day they're going to say, hey, instead of grilled cheese and tomato soup, maybe I'm going to try broccoli cheddar soup. And you get to be their cheerleader for that and say, absolutely, what can I do to help? Get in the kitchen with them, be their sous chef, and really support and cheer them on. Now, of course, same goes for littler kids. We don't want to go over the top because this can, again, reach into that like patronizing category. But this can be really helpful. And maybe there's even a reward system here of like, hey, you get to cook dinner for the whole family on Wednesdays, but that means you don't have to do dishes. Mom will do dishes or whatever that looks like. My kind of last tip here for you is to help your little one or your now middle one (laughs) really connect to a deeper sense of motivation, whether that includes maybe educating them a little bit more on nutrition or how the body works, or maybe it's just taking the time to listen to them when they talk about what's frustrating about being a picky eater. 
I can tell you this much. I have never met a picky eater who chooses to be a picky eater. I know it can feel like that from the outside, but I've never seen that before. I mean, I've certainly seen people who have food preferences, but not someone that truly wants to try something new, but feels like they can't. And oftentimes that's what's happening around these age groups, plus even older, right? Even into adulthood. And then a reminder here that really what we want to do is set up an environment where they feel safe to talk to us about stuff so that we can lean into those whys of why picky eating is such a struggle for them and how we can work on it together. Bring them in on the plan. Don't try to make a plan behind their back and sneak it in when they're not looking, right? Especially in these teenage years. That can feel like a total breach of trust and really just feel make them feel defeated. And we don't want to do that. So make a plan with them. Talk with them about it. Let them open up to you. Don't be the parent that's constantly asking them to try something new or have you tried anything new lately or why don't you like that? We don't want to narrow in on that. We want to give them that space to experience it themselves. And trust me, they are experiencing plenty of natural consequences by being picky. We don't need to layer on top of that. The other thing here that I want to tell you is to model the behavior. This is important for all ages, but even myself, I don't like mushrooms, but I sure as heck offer mushrooms to my family. Maybe not often, but when I do, I always put some on my plate too. Maybe I take a bite, maybe I don't, maybe I push it to the side, but I model it for my children to show them that I'm still willing to try something new because we never know when our taste buds might change and that's fine too. And that's my final reminder for you is sometimes there are just food preferences that we have forever and that's okay. For myself, like I said, I don't like mushrooms or olives. I'm sure if I thought really hard, I could come up with more foods, but a lot of us do just have food preferences. So knowing the difference between food preferences that are going to stick around for a while and being truly selective and if it's impeding our life, our nutrition, our health, anything like that, then maybe it is truly time to see a specialist one-on-one who can get eyes on your child or you or whoever it is to work with them to better uh, enhance or enrich their lives. I wanted to actually real quick mention that inside my Table Talk program, not only do I set up the structures and strategies for children, like I said, between ages one and 10, but all of these things still do apply to your child no matter their age. I also have a video in there in the bonus section that's all about how to grow the methods and structures that I teach inside Table Talk with your child. So if that's something you're interested in, you can learn more by clicking in the description box. And on that note, I hope this episode was helpful for you and I will catch you next week with a brand new episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you're walking away with some tangible ways to bring peace to your mealtimes. And if you like this episode, please subscribe and tell all your mom friends. And as always, the best compliment you can give me is leaving a rating and written review. You can find more from me on Instagram at MamaAndMeRD. And please feel free to send me any questions or comments you may have by emailing me at Alyssa at MamaAndMeRD.com. Until next time, mamas. Thank you.